again. Uh, this is uh, some powers. I'm trying to do a um, audio and vi uh, visual presentation at the same time. So for the people listening on Spreaker, uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm going through a bunch of things. I'm going to be using um, and I'm also uh, video recording this. So today um, we're going to talk about uh, the one month of Biden or I call it the climate of change. Um, we're currently in, um, I'm going to try to discuss four topics. One is executive orders. He's issued 31 executive orders so far in his first month in office. Um, the walls around D.C., um, Ashley Babbitt. Um, can't find any funeral or obituary information on her. And then we're going to quickly hit uh, Gates and Buffett and Schwab with the agenda. And that leads into climate change. Um, Kerry made a proclamation, and it's really not about climate change. It's about the climate of change, which is uh, the change to your individual uh, freedoms. Sorry, I'm looking at one screen, and I should be looking at another. So uh, let's just dive in. Um, I try to be fast about this. So, so far, uh, like I said, he, uh, Joe Biden's put together 31 executive orders. Um, and there's a, the, uh, going from uh, Executive Order 13985 through Executive Order uh, 14015. And um, I can go, th I'm not going to go through all of them, but I, I did find one that just recently was released. And there's a section in it that I, it's a reestablishment of, uh, it says, establishment of White House uh, uh, Office of Faith Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. The key to this is the neighborhood partnerships because it's that community organizing slash communism that gets uh, has uh, seeped into our government. Uh, our government is trying to control everything, everything you do, everything you say, and they want it in a certain manner. And uh, this isn't being run by Biden. He's too he's too stupid to do any of that. But he, he's willing to sign off on anything that they put in front of him because he's bought and paid for. He knows that he isn't a legitimate president. But um, that's neither here nor there, I guess. I mean, we can get into that further. But I saw, I was looking at Section 5 here. So... The, there was an amendment to a bunch of different executive orders that have been issued before, uh, starting with one that was issued uh, nine days into the Bush administration about uh, agencies' responsibilities with respect to faith-based and community initiatives. Um, and then Executive Order 13279, which was issued uh, in 2002, talking about equal protection. So all this is an amendment to executive orders that have been issued. Um, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six executive orders that uh, he, this is uh, amending to, which is kind of interesting that you have to hit that many. And of course, it's all you know, when they say faith-based. So substituting faith-based says White House and substituting White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships for White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. So neighborhood partnerships. Partnerships is collectivism. That's just all it really, really means there. And I just, I'm just touching on that because, uh, uh, you know, like I said, substituting White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships for White House Office of BCI. 
And in other words, they're they're trying to um, put a different name. Anytime you see people making name changes about about something, um, uh, it means that they're they they're trying to sell it in a different manner. But uh, ostensibly, what underlies that? It may not only be a change of policy, but it might be a change of uh, entirety of what the, the the motivations were behind it to begin with. And um, <laughs> our government's becoming a theocracy of itself. Um, in other words, you have to obey the government, uh, offer it uh, loyalty and fealty, like you're under feudalism, instead of uh, allowing people to have a free uh, free. To, congregate go to churches that that was basically struck down this past year due to the the pandemic of covid um that was uh enforced and initiated on to all of us uh to a very disastrous end um in las vegas it was a, a, a order well supreme court issued an order basically allowing casinos to stay open at 50 percent capacity while Making uh, making it uh, uh, making it uh, untenable to have more than fifty people at a church, showing that it's a, that the chase for the almighty dollar was much more incentivized than uh, people praying during a crisis that was pushed upon them in the pandemic. I'm going to itch and I'm going to probably sneeze here in a second. Uh. <laughs> There it goes. Yep. Operation Virus is completed on me. Speaking of which, um, we'll, we'll get off this order here. So I released this book. Um, it's for available for download. I'm going to leave a link in the description here on, on Sprecher and I will on the video. Operation Virus Delivering COVID Chaos and Communism to the United States. And that's what I feel we're, we're at. So here I think is our... We have China's 100-year plan, which is about total control. Uh, he has help uh, from the Bill Gates Foundation and uh, Klaus Schwab with the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, the point here is is to uh, turn the United States into a vassal state. China wants to rob us of our American dream, so to speak. China's always hated us. Um, they Mao was an evil person, but, you know, you know, he had an objective and he accomplished it. And then we've been sucked. We've been sucked into their, their vortex because uh, we have too many multinational corporations that that really, you know, put put profit in their own own personal wealth over uh, any loyalty or, uh, to a country. They'd sell out. They'd sell out. They'd sell their soul to get up a few dollars in their pocket. The funny thing is, is uh, when the hyperinflation aspect of uh, what we're going through go kicks on, uh, a lot of those dollars that these people have, you know, the middle managers who did this and were willing to sign off on all this stuff without giving any pushback to the higher level executives, because of course they kiss up and they 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 kiss up and yet they beat down people. Um, these people are, I, I understand where they come from. Um, I worked for uh, ZFTRW uh, for a couple years, uh, particularly as an industrial engineer. I've worked for Kroger. I've worked for Fortune 500 companies. 
in, in each capacity for as an industrial engineer where you're put in positions where you're dealing with the labor force on a regular basis. When I say dealing with them, I mean, ostensibly the idea is to go out there and create uh, better work environments and and uh, achieve higher productivity because that's that's how you maintain the profitability in the long term. However, I ran into many bosses who, uh, uh, not only just bosses, but higher level executives that their motivations may have not been so uh, um, moral or principled. And I was always put in a no-win situation because while well, I understood what their motivations were in terms of you know meeting a bottom line and uh, looking for cost cuts and whatever, it was all always about cost cutting. They never really wanted to invest in anything unless they could, you know, obviously you have to get a return on investment. And they always put the hurdle at one year or some arbitrary number that they had to achieve. You know, they wanted a lot of times, you know, there were improvements to be made on the floor. And a lot of times the employees had the best ideas because they deal with it on a daily basis. I'm not trying to get off on a rant here, but, you know, it just it just goes to show you that uh, you never know who's really trying to run the rodeo. And and like I said, I think there's a, you know, we know about the Belt and Road Initiative that uh, China has and has been working. As a matter of fact, there was an article re- released by uh, the National Pulse, uh, Natalie Winter, who's been doing a lot of good work overseas in Great Britain. And so uh, Great Britain is so retarded that they, uh, they're letting their schools be bought out by uh, Chinese money. Uh, so, and then of course the Chinese are going to install their little, just like the Confucian, uh, institutes in the United States, they're going to whitewash history and make China look oh so good and Western, Western culture is oh so bad, even though China is doing far worse. They're doing colonization in Africa and they're trying to basically colonize us and turn us into, uh, what, into domination. See, the Chinese have had a long, long memory they go on back to the 1840s when they got their asses kicked. And they did get their asses kicked, by the way, just for any of those Chinese people out there that, that think that, you know, uh, and I'm not talking about the normal Chinese people, the people that are interior. I'm talking about the, the coastal elite, uh, the ones that are in the big cities. We're talking about the, the top tier because they have much more, um, what would you call it, economic disparities. Uh, if you heard about the Gini coefficient, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're even more upside down than we are. But going back to what I was going with in the 1840s and fifties, um, they always blamed that the British came and, uh, tried to, uh, uh, dominate them. You know, obviously that's the reason why Hong Kong exists and stuff like that and whatnot. Um, and there was an opium trade and that, so this is retaliatory. They have a very long memory. Um, they they call they called it their um, the twentieth century their hundred years of humiliation. So they're getting back at us, and that, this is what this is all about for them. Other people have other motivation, and they have a lot of Western lapdogs that are like Biden in particular, who are compromised through blackmail. Biden knows he's illegitimate because his son was over there uh, doing doing lines of coke or doing meth or whatever with a bunch of Chinese hookers. And he's more more than proud of it. I mean, he sold his country out for, you know, his fix, his addictions. And his father more than put him in that position. 
I don't know if Ch uh, Hunter really has a whole lot of control over what he is. He's 51 years old. He's not a boy. He's a man, and he, he has never stood up to his dad once in his entire life. He's never told his dad to go get bent. Um, meanwhile, you have the Chinese who are more than willing to manipulate people like that. And they manipulated other politicians. We know about Eric Swalwell. We know about Diane Feinstein. Shit, heck, she was best buddies with uh, uh, Xi Jinping, a uh, guy who was uh, Xi's uh, basically who uh, Xi Jinping uh, learned his uh, learned his uh, distaste and uh, distrust for Amer American culture and American society. They've been operating on a thirty-year well. They've been operating on a hundred-year plan, but. They've been operating with a warfare mentality against the United States for the last 30 years. And we've had dumbass politicians like Clinton and Bush and and whatnot doing the same thing. Uh, basically twisting the stake in our hearts and, and asking us to like it, you know, as Americans in the entire Western world. They're, they've, uh, they just did a huge trade deal. The Chinese did with uh, all their... Uh, all the Pacific Rim countries that you would know, uh, South Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, all the major partners. The only one that didn't, they, the Chinese didn't make a trade deal quite yet is uh, India, because India knows they're a bunch of assholes. At least India's got enough common sense with Modi in charge to, to resist the temptation to cow to the Chinese population. Of course, you know, being next door neighbors helps them quite a bit with understanding what Chinese culture is really all about and or how, no, uh, well, the CCP culture. This is all being driven by the CCP, their social credit system, their uh, technology surveillance, the, the control of people, the enslavement of the Uyghurs, the whole nine yards. It's it's a and, and believe me, I, I don't know. I don't even know a tenth of what I need to know in order to go into further detail on all that stuff but you know once you scratch the surface the, the the iceberg gets pretty deep real quick with them um i have no love for the ccp or anything related to it and the fact that we have politicians in washington dc that are uh, beholden to these idiots these uh they have become the useful idiots our dc politicians are a bunch of bunch of idiots have given up you can extend that to the agencies like the cia the fbi you can extend that onto the supreme court they don't care about this country anymore all they care is their money all they care about is where they get their money from anyway i've uh, explored that uh, so next let's go to miss babbitt here um, um so the reason why i bring her up again is i've never found anything on her funeral so if you do a, a Google search, which of course Google is manipulated and it's run by owned by the Chinese too because they're getting money from them. So the, the top result, if you just put her name in, is Ashley Babbitt. Who was Ashley Babbitt? The New York, the New York Times wrote a big piece on her on January seventh, and there's no. And then the next, the second hit is uh, no charges recommended for officer who shot. February 2nd, the Capitol uh, uh, Police Officer. But they don't give you his name, so of course, you know, we don't know who he is. Um, and then, so going down, there's no, there's nothing in particular uh, that's, uh, like, uh, January 9th. This was two days, or three days after the event. You know, she was deep into it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they, they, there's so much bad information there. 
but I, I did a search, so, um, let's see, Google's going to be slow. So if you put in Ashley Babbitt and you put in funeral there, um, the first result you get is from January 10th. Ashley Babbitt, where is her body? And that's where I'm going with this. Um, there was a lot of articles written about Ashley Babbitt, but those articles don't, uh, don't, don't ever lead to where was she buried, when was she buried, you know, who, when was her funeral held. And I'm not, I, I, maybe I haven't done enough searches on it. I mean, I think I have, but, you know. So here on Google, the, the, third, the third hit, it says, Dead MAGA mobster Ashley Babbitt and her Marine X blah, blah, blah. Uh, I clicked on it a while back. It talks about a thruple and all this other stuff. Everything's done to smear her. But the funny thing is, is the guy, uh, John Sullivan, who got paid $70,000 uh, to videotape her, her, uh, her murder, or I don't know what you want to call it, you know, if you won't, don't call it a murder, I don't know what else it would be, an execution, because the guy, you know, he had plenty of time to shoot her. But then the funny thing is, is I've seen other video where, you know, when you see it, there's not a lot of blood. If someone got shot in the neck, you would expect there to be a substantial amount of blood. Um, there's just a lot of inconsistencies in this whole situation. Uh, uh, there's just so much that goes goes wrong with uh, how this story is covered. And it's meant to be that way because people are going to forget about it uh, soon enough. And they're going to forget about obvious uh, details that need to be uh, said. So there was a story on the first page of Google that says the far right propaganda machine doesn't know what to do. This is by the San Francisco Gate, which is obviously a left-wing moron site, and that was on January 11th. The far-right propaganda machine. Uh, let's talk about the far-left propaganda machine, which is just the mainstream media. Um, so, let's see. They, they uh, and then you got this Ashley Babbitt funeral memorial obituary, Antifa justice. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some justice there. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so if you go to another uh, site, um, I, the, I'll, I'll go to YouTube first. So there's a quick one-minute clip here. Um, you might hear an echo, but I'll try to keep silent myself. But you might hear an echo in the microphone. I'm, I'm not going to click it. Click on it. It's only about 35 seconds. But really, work-related, it was just something we've seen. And that was a pretty, like, a step back from me. It was kind of crazy to die just seen her a few days ago. And then didn't see her yesterday or the day before. And she repped it all the time. I mean, even this time, that was it. But she, um, on her car, had a huge Trump, a lot of Trump stickers. The huge Trump face on one of the windows, actually. Breaking and entering and then doing it to the nation's capital because someone lost is, I don't think, is complete. I don't think she had the right to do that. And what happened is very unfortunate, but I mean, it's kind of like you put yourself in a horrible situation. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> so you get the idea. This guy, I supposedly knows her and they're standing outside her. Uh, so she owned a pool business and out in, I think, San Diego or somewhere nearby. This is this was a, a video found on, uh, it says RT, which is a, 
they 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 let us know that it's owned uh, uh funded in whole or in part by the Russian government. So it's just interesting to see. They don't have uh okay, so many people were surprised and also condemned the manner in which Trump supporters had conducted themselves. You know, of course this is all about smearing the heck out of anybody who's even more I, the idea that she went in there because of the election. The thing is, is this seems so like Oswaldian type of a situation, and if you know what I mean, you know they set set her up as a patsy for this entire situation. Because if you actually, the video doesn't make any sense. Because here she was, she was surrounded by there was probably thirty or forty people in this hallway. And she did. And she had a, supposedly had this backpack on or whatever. And she suddenly decides to climb through the uh, an opening on the far right side of the uh, of the hallway, uh, where there was supposedly glass, which wasn't glass because if you paid any attention, uh, it, 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 it wasn't breakaway glass. It wasn't. Put this way, if, if the 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 barrier there looked like it was some kind of uh, uh, plastic. You know, because people were tearing through these, uh, tearing through, and there's no, there's, there's no, and I, I mean, I know there's tempered glass. This wasn't glass at all. It was just plastic. It looked like a, it looked like it was erected temporarily, uh, for, for show. And so she decided to get up through this hole on the right hand side of the room, climbs up on a, on a ledge. And as she's doing it, there's this black guy with his mask, with his face mask on. Which is another thing, too, that didn't make any sense. It's like, okay, so that was done, obviously, to hide his identity so that no one could actually have a picture of him. Uh, so you only you see him first. You see the muzzle of the gun or the muzzle of a gun uh, come out. And, and then he steps like about an extra, oh, I don't know, maybe about three feet forward, just for, uh, enough so you could see his face because before that you just see uh, a weapon drawn. And then he, he aims high. I mean, you could tell he was aiming high. And he shoot, uh, uh, supposedly, because I don't see a bullet. Uh, you hear it's a discharge, and it hits her in the neck, and then she falls back. She hits the floor. And then the thing is, is when a gun goes off in a room, say a gun goes off, with all those people there, wouldn't they be, there was no, there was no panic. There was no stampede. There was no people didn't run, didn't move. They just stood there. Really, they 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 acted out the part of oh, this is what I'm going to do, and they gave, gave her no help. Uh, they were trying to. They make it. They they did. They did a lot of movements without doing anything. There was one cop, supposedly, allegedly a cop. He was dressed like a cop. That doesn't mean anything. He gives a thumbs up. To somebody down the hall from where she was, uh, where she was heading towards, there was in the hallway. There were like a couple people that were circulating as this uh, shot was going to go off. It seemed all staged, and it seems like something that would be, and and this is harkens back to the Ukrainian situation that uh, you had. And when I say Ukraine situation, so late 2013, early 2014. Uh, the Ukrainians were uh, in the process of telling the IMF to go go f itself, and uh, about getting funding while they were while the the current the Yatsin I think is I forget the name of the Russian president then he was he was replaced later on by Poroshenko which was uh, Biden's boy 
uh, the guy that Poroshenko was uh, in, 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 and there's involvement there with uh, the D.C. riots there. I'll get to that. So the CIA was supposedly involved with the, the, the a color group revolution there uh, so they could insert in uh, Poroshenko because uh, he got elected in May. But initially, there was this, you know, they had a caught, they, they stirred up the, quote, the drama. They uh, courted the far-right groups. Literally, they courted them. Our U.S. government courted these people over there to be uh, uh, instigators. And from what I've seen and the details I've seen, uh, the whole point of it was to get the people, get the people in charge that the United States wanted against the Russian interest. Now, the Russians, you know, the Battle of Maidan and all this other kind of stuff. It's all about oil and money. That's what it boils down to. Pipelines, money, who controls what part of the country. The Russians were pushing back against the United States. And I'm not for the Russians. I'm just noticing that the United States is willing to do just about anything to do stuff like that. But they don't seem to know the long game very well, uh, obviously, because, you know, that policy you know, was used for them to set up a shop in the Ukraine. And then all the, the investigatory issues that surrounded the Trump administration in regards to, for example, Ukrainian foreign aid and stuff like that, stuff that we've sent money to, um, is all about keeping uh, the pockets flushed of our D.C. leadership um, because they're getting kickbacks from our money. Our tax dollars go to the Ukraine, finance some billionaires, finance a little bit of, of a supposedly aid to the people, but they're just as corrupt as hell. I mean, they're just like the Russians. But we're doing that so we can keep them bought off and keep them, uh, keep the, their, their elites happy enough so they'll continue to go along with our game and keep the financial uh, wheels rolling. And, of course, it's all under the cover. And we, we're, we're pushing back against the Russian uh, overtake of the Ukrainian government and stuff like that, etc., etc. Um, at this point, you know, who who knows what's going on in terms of that shit show. But uh, when it gets down to it, um, this whole uh, this whole current situation, though, um, and, and it ties into Biden, is that uh, in uh, D.C. on the the sixth, there were some Ukrainian elements there. There was a uh, far-right group that's uh, attached to uh, Poroshenko, who was the former, now is the former president of the Ukraine. He got ousted uh, with the election of uh, Zelensky, uh, who uh, was an actor, but he's also a lawyer, too. So, I mean, they, everybody likes to make fun of him because he owned a media company, and they try to make him out to be like a buffoon that Trump worked with. But he was, uh, you know, he's probably just another corrupt person, but... Uh, <clears throat> that being said, uh, Poroshenko was in the Western Hemisphere, evidently down in South America. Hold on a second. He was down in South America. It just so happens in around the same time that this was going on. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> George, uh, George Eliasson, who lives in Ukraine, <clears throat> He does that investigative reporting all the life. Um, I'm going to sound like bad here, but he's been doing all the investigating reporting here on this situation, and he uh, he noticed that there's some in, and there was some confirmed uh, sightings of 
of Ukrainian elements that were in the Capitol building on that day. Matter of fact, they posed with, uh, did pictures with uh, the Q guy who got arrested. The Q guy had a whole media entourage uh, to take pictures. He took pictures. He got walked through the Senate chambers. He was taking pictures in the hallway. His name's Jacob uh, Angeli or whatever. His real name was different, obviously, but uh, evidently he'd been he'd been uh, po 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 uh, he'd been posing with uh, BLM and um, various uh, organizations, even out in Arizona. Um, and there was a there was an article. This was eight or nine months ago, supposedly on Craigslist, where uh, they were looking for actors uh, to be involved with these these uh, riots. That that post was taken down immediately. But I I remember it was probably in April, not April, but uh, May or June. May have been June. Should have been June. Uh, there was some kind of posting that got put up. For a short while and somebody uh, put it out on Twitter and I remember trying to link back to it and it, it didn't link to the uh, the link that was there was burnt <clears throat> and so but the person evidently found the link and it was tied to people being involved with uh, uh, you know uh, being hired to portray a, 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 a part in these uh, riots around the country at that time so, what makes me think he wasn't hired on permanently? And given that he, he sounds kind of like he's a nutty, nutty character and he's an a actor and he's just looking to build a profile and blah, blah, blah. You know, what makes me think that they aren't going to just drop the charges against him and let him walk? And then meanwhile, we have Nancy Pelosi uh, ramping up or, uh, of course, putting together some kind of commission. I find it kind of interesting that Congress, uh, you know, did this. Of course, she's investigating herself because between her and Muriel Bowser, uh, they were uh, part and parcel to the lack of security on January 6th. Uh, Muriel Bowser wrote a letter to <coughs> various elements in the United States government, the acting attorney general at the time, and um, some federal agencies to say, no, 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 we don't need any National Guard here. We'll be okay. Um, you think that wasn't just like, it's basically enticement, ringing a dead remel. They knew Trump had uh, overstepped. Trump should have said, no, we're not going to have a rally or event. I understand why he did it. I mean, I understand uh, ostensibly, you know, it, it is, it is uh, uh, beneficial. It could have been beneficial. But uh, the point of all this was to hijack any, uh, was to set him up. And, of course, they succeeded because they never did go down the route. They never did uh, actually look through any evidence. And that was the whole point, to stop the, stop the ability to do that. And don't know, and don't think that there aren't any uh, international interests that were uh, concerted in their involvement or even... Uh, billionaire interest because see the reason why they want this is because they want Joe Biden in office irrespective of legality of it because they can handle him they can manage him they're not gonna they're not interested in us the American people we're just we're just sheep to them we're just good little slaves they could care less what we want or what uh, what we think remember we're being controlled from higher people and um 
And that leads into my next topic, I guess. <clears throat> so, one of the things you should do is get familiar with Gates, uh, no matter what your affiliation in life is, because he's got his hand in every cookie jar that you can imagine, like the educational system, um, health, climate, uh, the initiatives of uh, various uh, entities around the world. So, let's see here. So this is uh, from a recent forum. Um, uh, so, for example, there's this form uh, 99T. These are these are form foundations and trusts have to file obviously every year, just like tax forms. So, I this was just one off the one page of this uh, foundation. So, the foundation uh, or the yeah foundations uh, you know tax numbers five six dash two six one eight eight six six. You can go to Gates' website and download all his uh, tax records. Good luck uh, getting them into a PDF format that you can uh, turn into a database, which I did for six years, but it's a pain in the ass. So anyway, because uh, I had to come up with a way to clean those uh, files, which isn't easy. So uh, there's a on this, there's a sheet that says, Name a foreign country in which organization has financial issues. So, we're talking about a foundation that has uh, foreign interests. So name of country. You only got four listed on the sheet. The top one is China. The next one is the United Kingdom. The next one after that is India. And the, the final one is South Africa. Now, now that's interesting if you think about it. Well, uh, first of all, China. And the thing is, it's not listed by alpha, it's not alphabetical order. So it's probably listed by the most interest. So Gates has the most interest in China. Just so you know, that's that's probably uh, that's verified here. Uh, but if you look at it, you have South Africa, India, and the United Kingdom. You know, those are all British-related, British properties, former colonies, and of course India there. So, <clears throat> and we know about India. He's been heavily vaccinating there, and he probably owned, he owns several. I think. He does own a substantial portion of a vaccine uh, vaccine plant that's in India, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to dig a little bit, but I remember stumbling upon that. I know he's invested in a company that's based out of India. I want to say it's PT uh, Biopharmaceuticals. I can't remember right off the top of my head. He's got money in all kinds of places, and you know. People are like, well, you know, he's got so much money, you know, he can be invested in a thousand things. That's right, he can be. And we're, we're supplying money, but, oh, it gets better. So, um, a trust is used, the trust is used a way to tax, uh, to basically take money and, and basically, this is like a money laundering scheme. Trust and foundations. So, trust can't, a trust are tax. There's no taxation on trusts, or at least from what I understand of it. And I mean, there may be some minimal, you know, processing, but it's it's minimal. So trusts are set up so they they're they're like a tax shelter. So if you dump money into them, you can grow. But then you can take the trust money and you can move it over to a foundation, and then the foundation can do its grants and whatnot. Which it's just a it's just a way to protect uh, your holdings. It's a way to way for rich people to keep their money from out of the hands of uh, Uncle Sam and, you know, any, any other prying eyes. So the top donators to his trust was, okay, so um, William H. Gates III investment fees was $64 million. No big deal. Just $64 million. I mean, 
I could retire on that. Obviously, we could all do that. But William H. Gates III Securities from uh, another one is basically a half billion dollars. Um, these are just these are things that he added in. So he sold off securities. He sold off his uh, stocks and whatnot. So he basically contributed about five hundred and sixty. Uh, let's see, five hundred sixty uh, million dollars to his own uh, foundation. Uh, eventually, it went to the uh, went to the foundation from the trust. But down at the bottom here, uh, Warren Buffett Securities, two uh, two billion seven hundred forty nine million seven hundred uh, seventy four thousand and nine hundred sixty dollars. So two point eight billion dollars, for for lack of better terms. He's been doing this yearly. Uh, for the Gates Foundation. The reason why the Gates Foundation, uh, uh, if I looked at their final numbers, uh, the reason why they're sitting on, you know, oh, let's see, I'll get to that real quick. So, yeah, the reason why the Gates Foundation has, uh, you know, so going to the uh, foundational numbers here, I gotta move, okay, uh, let's see if I move that over. Uh, sorry dealing with uh, uh, too many screens so if I can, I'm on Adobe so I'm gonna make this so you can see it on the screen for those who are who are actually gonna watch this video so Gates has uh, uh, the money that was donated to the foundation last year was uh, five billion eight hundred fifty one million dollars so not not small potatoes that came directly from the trust that went into the foundation. Now, and this is on, um, you know, this is on page 695 of a 1100 page document, um, which it tells you something too. It's, it's mind boggling how big these uh, documents are. So let's go to page one. Um, here. And I'm going, I'm on. Um, so anyway, so on page one, it just tells you how much contributions are and how much money goes out of the contributions. I got to see here, the grants. So let's see how much the country, the, uh, the grants paid last year were $4 billion or $4.7 billion. I'm sorry. That's the distributions. And our, and overall, their overall uh, overall expenses were five point seven billion, but the money they brought in was five point eight billion. So they added a hundred million dollars to the bottom line of the this uh, situation. <clears throat> anyway, at the bottom here, I say they have their you know billions of dollars. So this isn't a a, a small little entity. Obviously, it's a it's a fifty billion dollar foundation at this point it's the uh, largest or second it's the largest foundation in the in the world 50 billion dollars is about the size of fedex if i'm not mistaken so it just goes to show you that money is just running this world and and we're not a part of their uh, grand scheme which is what what uh, uh klaus schwab uh, wants us to be so uh, we'll go into that real quick so i created this um um uh, I'll get my face out of the way online or on this uh, situation. So, um, the Great Reset is all about technology. It's basically a, uh, well, it's called a typhlocracy, but we'll just call it a technocracy because that's something everybody can understand. 
So we have a marriage between technocracy and our uh, big government, which is going to use surveillance to get us back to get us to serfdom. See, we are going to the, the average person here is going to be we're just uh, we're just cattle to be uh, herded, and we have the same people we always have at the top. The big tech is going to work with surveillance because obviously they're very good at technology. Uh, big media has obviously been gaslighting us and doing psychological manipulation, keeping us occupied with stories that are relevant. <clears throat> Meanwhile, they, they, they suddenly drop in hints about, you know, what the future is going to be and, and how they're going to do it. And if you mention it and they call you a conspiracy theorist, well, we're not just... Uh, uh, we're not conspiracy theorists, it's, it's, it's a fact, I mean, it's out there. There's a whole book on it called, uh, you know, COVID-19, The Great Reset by uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, but they're working, I don't know, I don't know if Schwab and Gates are G's pets, or they're co-conspiring co together to make this happen, but, I mean, people work together and can have the same ideas, even though they want them. They're all going to have their own little piece of it. And one could think of it as, um, so Xi wants to dominate the world by 2049, and Klaus Schwab wants to probably be the leader of Europe, and Bill Gates wants to be the, he wants to own, or at least uh, be a substantial uh, ownership of the United States of America. He's buying up farmland, or has a substantial stake in farmland, and he just came out recently and said that he thinks we should be on synthetic, uh, synthetic meat, uh, you know that the, the first world or the Western world or uh, anybody who's uh, industrialized, we should uh, just stop making cows because they, they make too much CO2 and we should, you know, go to synthetic processing and meat. You know, basically, at some point, they're going to, at some point in the future, you know, if it was up to these people, uh, we're going to, you're going to get your morning or daily ration of, uh, of uh, pasty uh, uh, pre processed food for your uh, um, for your caloric intake and then you're going to be sent to the fields or wherever whatever initiative they want you either the fields or the plant or whatever whatever it is to make things for them and then you're going to go back to your little hovel or your little shack and you're just going to do that on a daily basis and you're going to have these feudal lords which are going to be like your they're going to G will be the king and uh uh or at least Xi or the, the CCP regime, because since China wants to have an entire network across the world, they're going to own all the minerals. They've been buying up precious minerals. They've been buying into farmland. They're buying up the United States as we speak. Uh, a little bit of disaster capitalism there. You know, that's the reason why the useful idiots on the street riot and burn down stuff, and the D.C. mayors and D.C. Uh, are... Uh, Democrat mayors and the D.C. Uh, functionaries just let them do it. And then, of course, when, we, when anybody pushes back against them, you see them putting up a fencing, but that's beside the point. But eventually, you're going to be tied to a surveillance system that's probably going to be Chinese-operated through, uh, through our United States government. And then you're going to have the uh, social credit system, which, are, with their, which they're hell-bent on putting in place because... China manages their people through a social credit system. So if you speak out against the government, you won't be able to travel. You won't be able to make any money. Uh, Biden signed up, re-signed uh, 
executive order tied to that idea that um, we're going to uh, <clears throat> uh, certain industries, particularly like armaments and stuff like that. So, for example, if you're making bullets or making weapons, you run a basically your 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 NRA uh, best buddy. <clears throat> They're trying to make it so that those people can't operate anymore. Uh, by um, uh, taking away their ability to make transactions through banks, um, because they're, the the whole point is is they're eventually trying to disarm the entire United States of America at some point. Uh, they already got bills. They're they already got a bill in Congress right now that Sheila Jackson Lee crazy woman. So they want to make a make it a tie to a, a mental exam, uh, which is you know run by hard left psychologists because you know. Those people don't care about anybody but their money. Uh, you got to realize the bigger the government got, the, the more leftist it became because all of the people that are involved in this, they're, they're subsidized. I mean, they know they can keep their job as long as they keep on pushing the paperwork and, and going along to get along. And they're drones. That's why they want indoctrination camps uh, that are called colleges and universities. They turn out these people all the time. Then these people have any critical thinking skills or initiative to actually go out and make a business, but get a job in government, and the more of those that they can get, you know, loyalty to the state is very important under uh, under this situation. So those are the people that are going to be called your technocrat. The, the elites are very the elites are the Bill Gateses of the world. Uh, they want total ownership. Uh, they want their technocratic minions in the big cities. The DCs, the San Francisco's, the LA, and eventually they'll come for uh, the middle, the the heartland, which is actually what they're doing right now. It's a it's a beautiful strategy if you really look at it, and I say it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful strategic method. So right now the coasts are occupied by the elites and the the left wings. So California, and even though California is a total disaster, it doesn't really matter. So you have the coasts. You got the West Coast and the East Coast. That's where the liberals live, all of them, pretty much. Then you have the mid middle of the country is occupied mostly red. Well, Trump put a southern tried to put a southern border in. He tried to get that completed. They they fought that tooth and nail, literally. They shut down the government over that in what 2017 or 2018. So after they did that. After they seceded in stopping the total completion of it, what have you heard about recently? Immigration. They're they're push, they're trying to put together a amnesty bill, and they're also they're gonna they stop building the wall, and I think there was some sections that were left remaining, a, a small sections, but it wasn't his. It, it, people have always blamed him. They like, well, he couldn't accomplish getting a wall built. What did you want him to do? Go go down to the go down to the Rio Grande and start driving pilings in and and putting in uh, pouring concrete and putting in mesh fencing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how much do you want one guy to do? He he can only give the order. He can only get the bill signed. The problem is is when you don't have anybody underneath you who wants to push your initiatives hard enough, fast enough, it won't get accomplished. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter what your title is it matters uh, who who you're who you're able to surround yourself with to get it done and the problem with dc is everybody that you you if you're the president of the united states you have to get all your agency heads 
all your uh, cabinet members have to be vetted through Congress. They're the one the Senate approves. Senate, the Senate has to approve of your nomination to a position, say, Attorney General. That's why they have hearings on that. So unless that that unless the person you nominate is basically a parasite, they won't they won't prove it. They they want somebody they can control. That's what this has always been about. So the reason why they didn't like Trump isn't so much that Trump is you know some some uh, perfect person or anything like that or this evil person that they try to paint him out to be. He's just a normal. He's a businessman. He's got his flaws, he's got his drawbacks, he has his own ideology, for better or for worse. But the problem is, is they couldn't control him the way they could control all the other people there. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need money, or he didn't need money. He might need money now because they're probably going to try to break him. Um, they couldn't control him that way. They couldn't control him through uh, sex. You know, he didn't need an affair. He's got a hot wife. He's already banged as many women as you could possibly bang in a lifetime and you know, he's 70-something years old. He probably doesn't need any new new woman to bang. <clears throat> so, you know, it, there was no compromise there. So, of course, with the idiots that are in D.C. and people like Bill Clinton's wife, Hillary, who hates his guts because she isn't in the office, even though she can be controlled. See, these people, it's, it's all a dirt game. They're... You know the Clintons. They know they're 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 uh, dirty as hell, and so are the Bushes. The Bushes have committed war crimes. Obamas are the same way. Uh, they were taking money from George Soros back in 2004 or 2005. Um, and I'm getting off on a rant here, but you know that's the whole point of this. So the point is, is when you get down to it, um, the um, the elites and the technocratic minions that they're going to hire. They can control your food. They can control your health. They can control what you consume in terms of social media, or whether you are allowed on social media, or what what you say on social media, and when when you say it, because that's going to go against corporate. The corporate, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a plenty of corporations that are involved with this. The elites, when you talk about that, and then of course, like I said, big tech, uh, they're going to decide, you know, whether you have an existence on on social media. Or whether they disappear you so it's kind of it's kind of a beautiful plan because like i said when they opened up the borders the military operation is to bring in the southern border and overload the overload state systems with uh, a new uh new migrants it's basically like what happened in rome or uh the roman empire uh the ostrogoths and the visigoths invaded into uh, the Roman Empire, which had gone too far beyond its bounds, and they were driven in by the Huns, and the, the, the Goths uh, came in, and eventually they were the ones who took over uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, that's why you have a Western, that uh, basically the fall of the Roman Empire. It took about, I don't know, 50 to 75 years there at the end before they got rid of uh I think it was a, a boy who was on the throne uh, in uh, 475 A.D. And the same is coming up with uh, the United States. Um, and uh, we're not going to fall away. I mean, we have nuclear weapons, but no one will ever use them. If we use them, we'll, we'll be, um, we'll be uh, smeared in the world. And that will be the last time we'll ever use it. Uh, because 
the entire world will turn against us and China will have uh, propagandized most of our uh, allies and they already have with the UK and Australia and Canada. They totally own Canada. Canada, Canada, Canadians are so cucked to China right now. I mean, <laughs> and Australia is getting there. I mean, these, these countries are literally sucking up to Chinese uh, propaganda to try to do that, do what they tell, do their bidding for them, so they don't piss them off because they don't like these dumbasses think that the United States has been so hard on them in the last fifty years. But they, it is, that's just based in resentment, and I'm not talking about the the peoples of those countries. I think the Canadians and the uh, uh, British Empire people, and and even the Western Western Europe, the actual people for the most part think we're okay. But uh, the leaderships there, they've always hated the United States of America um, because, you know, they didn't, you know, they resent, they resented our freedom. They resented our economy. They resented the fact that we were able to rebuild Europe and Japan on, on, uh, off of our economy. And then we tried to rebuild China. And that was their biggest mistake we ever made. We should have just let China just suffer. Uh, back in the 1970s, just let them suffer. Uh, let them suffer under communist rule. I'm sorry, I, if you're a Chinese person, that's that's just too bad. But you know, if you won't rise up against your authoritarian regime, why should we help you? Uh, instead, now you're gonna you're gonna suffer, and the rest of the world's gonna suffer. So, by my estimation, you probably have increased suffering sixfold under your under your lack of uh, ability to take out the CCP. Of course, you know, it helps that they have a standing army of 50 million soldiers, 50, year, uh, 50 million beta males that are, uh, <laughs> they can't find a woman because uh, they got rid of the women back in the 70s and 80s with their one-child policy. So there's like, I, I don't know what the disparity is now, but uh, ostensibly there's probably 50 or 100 million more males than there are females. So a female in, in China is very precious, whereas a you know, the males there are just, you know, fodder, you know, meant to be, you better join the military because you're never going to have a woman anyway, so you might as well, you know, I guess that'll make them uh, a very, make them very manipulative, very manipulated, so, uh, let's see here, I gotta make sure I stay on point here, because I've already went, so Gates funding, so we're basically talking about the the freedoms that we don't have. Um, which is, um, we'll get to John Kerry and his climate change. So Trish Regan posted about this, I guess the bite, I, I'm going to play this. I don't know how long it's going to be. Hopefully it's pretty sure that's about four minutes. Officially rejoins the Paris Climate Accord. America is currently the second largest emitter behind greenhouse gases that are warming the planet with all time. So cumulatively, but right now second. In 2017, former President Trump announced he was pulling out of the landmark deal signed by more than 190 nations, which was designed to help cut global carbon emissions. For our continuing series, Eye on Earth, Ben Tracy spoke exclusively with former Secretary of State John Kerry, who is now the Biden administration's climate envoy. The wild winter weather this week has been called historic and unprecedented. But someday, we may just call this normal. And obviously, we want to prevent this from becoming the new normal to the degree that we can. Some people get hung up on the term global warming and say, well, I thought it was supposed to get warmer. I heard one scientist say this is really global weirding. 
a better way to think of this? I think it's a very appropriate way to think of it. It is directly related to the warming, even though your instinct is to say, wait a minute, this is the new one. But it's not. It is coming from the global warming, and it threatens all the normal weather patterns. The planet is warming in large part because of the greenhouse gas emissions we pump into the sky from our pads, our cars, trains, and... So there you go. Uh, there's our, there's our lovely uh, Wahoo Green Czar, basically. The funny thing is about this is, so we know that our our, um, we say there's a climate change. Okay, let's start with that premise that that this is absolutely real and one hundred percent. Well, if that's the case, then why are why and you're worried about all this uh, uh, CO two emissions pumped in the the things and they're talking about the um, who 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 has the most uh, additive to this? Uh, actually, it's China that has the most additive to this, and it's not even not even close. Uh, the difference here. I even got a graph on this, so I'm going to have to uh, pull this up. Um, so, let's see, I got to get to where I'm at because I'm looking at my book because I included the information that needed to be included. So, hold on, bear with me for a second. There's a lot of topics discussed in the book that I wrote. Um, I think a lot of it will be informative to most people. Uh, there's analysis, there's graphics, there's lots of things I've captured uh, from people who did a lot of great work. Uh, I appreciate. There's a lot of people been uh, trying to get their hands on this elephant, and um, I'm one of them, and I, I'm only just one. So uh, there's a lot of um, information that I found that uh, kind of ties together. I try to create a, you know, so... Anyway, um, we'll get into it here. So there's a graphic here. Hopefully, I can uh, I have shown it well enough. So when you talk about uh, the atomizers, I mean China's uh, uh, doing substantially amount of the the reason why they 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 they, they, they bury lead. Okay, so right now amongst the emitters of certain uh, uh, emissions per capita. You have the top emitters, and then you have the top per capita emitters. See, it's all tied to you know who how you look at things. So from two thousand, at that point, China, China was uh, according to this greenhouse gas emissions uh, GTCO two emissions. Uh, they were probably right around five on this graphic, and now they're up at about thirteen and a half, fourteen. So they've. Uh, almost tripled their amount of emissions in the just a well in well in this case nineteen years, but let's say twenty years. And they've uh, gone from they used to be per person they were probably roughly around three and a half, and now they're up to ten. Now of course okay now let's look at the United States. So the United States we were we in uh, two thousand we were roughly around oh probably about seven. Uh, um, GT CO2 emissions I think that's uh, gigatons uh, is the, the metric there so we we're about 7 gigatons and that was in totality and right now we're probably about 6.8 6, maybe 6.6 we're still above 6 but we're not you know we're not but this way our emissions have gone down they even went down under the Trump administration believe it or not 
Meanwhile, like I said, the Chinese, uh, well, and if we look at it from the top end, so per person, in uh, 2000, we were at 25. Now we're at 20. So if you think about it, we've gone down 20% in a matter of 20 years, 20% from the top. So our, the top measure per person was 25, and it's uh, 25, uh, I don't know, uh, T's, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to try to figure out what their scaling is, but this graphic, uh, I included it because it's right from a UN report. The point of it is, is that the United States has been de steadily declining throughout this time frame in uh, CO2 emissions. Um, so I got another graphic and that came from our uh, friends at uh, BP, matter of fact. So uh, Chinese, uh, China has added a substantial amount of, of, of totals to this. Um, for example, let's see here. So if we take the totals by, uh, by area, uh, in terms of uh, area, uh, Asia alone is 49.4% of the world's emissions as of 2018. And China has re regularly kept on going up um, throughout this time, ever since they entered the World Trade Organization. And here's the key point of this. People say, well, you know, the United States continues to be the, you know, leader per capita or whatever thing. Here's the, here's the thing. As of 2000, if you took, took all the numbers from China, the United States, all these countries, our emissions were less than, less in 2000 than they are today. And do you know why? Because China has been, not only has China become more industrialized, we outsourced all our CO2, our manufacturing over there. And you know what they did over there? They don't have any regulations on that stuff. They deregulate. They 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 don't care about any of that. They they're building coal power plants. Uh, they're adding electric. Uh, they they don't care about what they pollute. Uh, they're not putting any restrictions on pollution. So for all the liberals out there who think that uh, you know it's the United States and they need to put higher uh, tighter regulations on stuff. No, you need to be. You you keep on focusing on the wrong part of the problem. Uh, when we outsourced everything over there, the reason why it was done was obviously so they could make more profits because the, the businesses that went over there said, hey, I don't have to deal with these onerous regulations. Uh, I don't have to, I can just, you know, get cheaper labor. I don't have to, the only thing I have to deal with is the CCP. As long as I make them happy, I'm happy. Um, and of course, they're going to eventually find out that the CCP doesn't care about their happiness and you know, they'll basically nationalize their industry, you know, subtly so. They won't do it overtly. They'll subtly basically say, uh, we stole your technology, which they're doing and they have been doing. We, we put all our people in, in uh, positions of power and authority. And we have our spies all the way down through, to the manufacturing floor. So basically, we don't need you anymore. And then they'll ouster the CCO or whatever, uh, or they'll compromise them. They'll, you know, oh, you, you, if we let this uh, video go, if you having sex with this woman, uh, you'll 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 submit to us. And these CEOs are most of them are dirtied up in one way, shape, or form. So um, they'll they'll comply. Um, that's a problem when you get bed with immoral people, especially communists. Communists are always immoral. I don't know why anybody deals with these people, but they do because they want money. They're greedy. They're greedy idiots. They don't know any better. 
Um, so what I'm getting at is, is that when you look at this environmental crisis, it's being caused by the Chinese. They don't care. They just added it. Uh, they, a matter of fact, uh, this was a, a report from Voice of America. Let's see if I can find it in my book. Um, pretty close to here, I think. Yeah. So Biden had uh, uh, basically signed an executive order about uh, electricity and power in the United States. But on top of that, uh, let's see if I... One thing about uh, Adobe, sometimes it hangs up. Uh, let's see if I can find it. I'll get to it eventually. Mm. Do do. Uh, probably going the wrong way. Uh, Twenty. Um, so, what I was getting at is the the Chinese have uh, did their asymmetric warfare, arts and um, Biden was. Suck, sucking up to these people about uh, the environment and climate change and all this climate accord stuff. Okay. So, so VOA News reported this in detail um, through, uh, they, they cited a Reuters report, which, oh, by the way, Reuters is uh, funded by the Bill Gates Foundation. Just so you know, Reuters Foundation is funded by Gates, BBC, uh, Open, Open Society, George Soros, you might want to know that. So, when you get when you get uh, information from them, they're they're basically beholden to a lot of these billionaires, and, and they're beholden to Facebook too. As a matter of fact, so including decommissions, China's coal-fired fleet capacity rose by net twenty nine point eight gigawatts in twenty 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 nine point eight gigawatts, even as the rest of the world made cuts of seventeen point two gigawatts. So the rest of the world can't cut, can't cut as fast as they're adding capacity, but that shouldn't be the case. See, they're adding capacity. They don't put scrubbers on their um, um, coal fire plants. Uh, they don't do the, a lot of the recommendations. They, they, all they care about is getting them built and, 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 and uh, fueling their economy. You know, why, why are we sitting back and saying, uh, no, we don't want energy independence. Uh, we want to be pulling them. Why aren't we investing in infrastructure? Of course, people will like, complain that you know, Trump didn't invest in infrastructure. How could he? He can never get a bill through Congress because you have assholes in Congress who, who refuse, refuse to do anything for this country. They're too busy trying to pander to people and buy votes instead of actually fixing this country. They're too fucking stupid to actually understand what needs to be done or they're very intelligent and know them what needs to be done and they just don't care to because they're bought and paid for. So it's either one or the other. I don't think there's a, or a mixture of both. Because uh, some of them, you know, they are stupid. They are bought and paid for. You know, it's just, it, it frustrates us all to no end. Because I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. Um, and that's why I'm making making this. But getting back to this, so the, their country won praise. And I mean, why are we praising communist countries, CCP run countries? I mean, they, they, they imprison Uyghurs like they're going out of style. And you know why they do that, too? Is not just because they, you know, can't stand them because they're not Han Chinese. Uh, they do that as a deterrent against the rest of the population because the rest of the population knows very well about these, these uh, uh, disappearing camps or disappearance camps. They, they see people go bye-bye and they know they're never going to see them again because, you know, if you speak out, 
and they're so cucked that these people will gladly just do what they can to not be um, taken care of. But they won they won praise on this last year from Gigi Plain pledged to make the car country carbon neutral by 2060. 2060 carbon neutral. That that pledge isn't worth a the, uh, the piece of charmin that you can wipe your ass up with about it. Um, <laughs> so, the country's National Energy Administration didn't immediately respond to uh, Reuters' request for comment. Why? Well, bet not. China approved the construction of a further 36.9 gigawatts of coal-fired capacity last year, three times more than the year earlier, bringing the total under construction to 88.1 gigawatts. It now has 247 gigawatts of coal power under development, enough to supply the whole of Germany. Why are we dealing with these assholes? Why are you, why is anybody sitting back and just letting... I mean, if they're going to complete, complete the world out of existence, I mean, they're... Do you realize that you can't win a struggle with that? You're never going to. They don't care. They don't care what this whole carbon neutral future that they're, you know how they're going to get there? <laughs> they're just going to eliminate the rest of us. That's what they're going to do. They can care less. You know, they'll say, oh yeah, the world, the world, we reduced the carbon emissions in the, in the world. We just got rid of half the people that are populating it, preferably in places that we don't like, you know. Uh, then, then they'll, 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 you know, give a few scraps to the people in the interior because they got to keep those people, uh, from rioting and suppressing because when the Chinese finally riot, that bottled up anxiety that's inside any human being, um, when it explodes, it explodes and they know that that's why she really didn't like it really hated the trade, uh, policies because, you know, there was, I guess, rumblings in 2019, uh, that uh, they were having some problems over there. And of course, in China, you can't have problems. Uh, it's certainly no problem that you want to address the way you're supposed to address problems with people. The way you address problems with people under a communist rule is to either get rid of them or get rid of them <laughs> or uh, try to figure out a way to, uh, to uh, change the policies of other nations. So that's why they have... That's why they have two million spies that are running around the globe uh, gathering information on people and intel and stealing and doing whatever they can. That buttresses the Chinese initiatives. And so we're in a matter of a climate of change. And the climate of change that I'm getting to is the fact that uh, they don't want us to have freedoms um, at all. Uh, freedom is Freedom is dangerous. In the Chinese way of thinking, um, the idea is, is that um, there's always been this battle between the West and the East, and there's too many people who think that uh, the, the Chinese are very good about uh, hierarchy and compliance and control, and they're good about uh, they're not. No one ever says to the, says about China they're very innovative. Well, they're very intelligent. Don't get me wrong. They're very precise. That's probably why uh, Japan, China, and other are very good at building stuff. Of course, uh, when I say very good at building something, uh, um, repeatability of building uh, certain items. Though I think China is not really like Japan in that regard. I think Japan's a precision, a very precise, or at least they, they've always had that claim, uh, claim to fame with uh, Kaizans and lean 
processes. I'm, I'm not really a, a big fan of those things. I think that's a lot of hope, but uh, there there's some good ideas that come out of anything. But China is very, uh, I mean, that's the reason why they've been stealing our technology. And we have professors and, and whatnot, and we have uh, executives and uh, people that are in our country who are U.S.-born citizens that are feeling uh, China. They're literally giving China all this uh, power and control over them. And they're providing for them um, this way too much. Um, it, it, it just boggles the mind, in my, in my opinion, that uh, when I say way too much, that, that a person would be so subservient and so un, unthinking about uh, providing uh, the means to their own destruction. That, you know, it, say, for example, that uh, Harvard professor Charles Lieber, I guess he was involved with some genetic, uh, you know, we're talking cellular, subcellular, nanotechnology type stuff, stuff beyond my comprehension, stuff beyond nearly everybody's comprehension. We get a very mundane, we have a very crude understanding of what's going on there. But if you're at that cutting edge and you're working with the Chinese system, you have to obviously believe in it. You have to be committed to it. And I'm just thinking, what what caused a person like that to be so evil? Because you have to you have to have like no self awareness whatsoever to understand that once you're once you've provided this information, this stuff for them. And, of course, now he's going to feel like a victim because the, the Department of Justice uh, has their paws into him. But um, that just justifies his thinking that, you know, probably he, he, he probably thinks, oh, well, you know, now they're criminalizing me. You know, the United States, you know, they uh, they they uh, uh, <laughs> they're the blame for my problems. Uh, he doesn't know that his problems started long ago when he. When he got in bed with these idiots, um, that he sold out his country, and he doesn't realize that or doesn't think that way, and and I, I can I can see where his his uh, argument would be that you know, hey, we should be cooperative and it's a big world and uh, we should want we should want to advance our society or world through uh, this one unification, you know, this one world order, you know, I'm sure he's very well read and and probably can uh, talk circles around me, but I understand where, where that comes from. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting to, to, to position or to think about that philosophically, that uh, there are people, and I went to school with one like this, and I, I'm going to mention that because... Uh, I only went, not only went to school with her, but she was, uh, she works for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and she's a CFO. And um, I won't give her name, but she's she's head of one of her one of his biggest divisions. And uh, I mean, when I say CFO, I mean aside from the C, <laughs> to, to, aside from the division head, I mean she's probably probably in the top fifty of uh, people that are important in that organization. When I say people that are important, I mean important by title, not important in terms of what they actually do. But they're all aligned to Gates's philosophy. But she and you know people like Lieber and stuff like that, 
they have this motivation that's always been about globalism, about uh, this one world order, this, you know, we can all get on the same page. You're trying to get, but really what it is is um, they just want the top of the top. The elite are all on the same page. They want the elite to be on the same page. And this has been going on for 100, 120 years. It's probably been going on a lot longer than that, but uh, in different iterations. And people will, will scoff at that idea that there's there's this uh, uh, elite. And I, I say to them, here, here's here's how this works. You have a Pareto curve. We have a Pareto curve in life. Pareto. You've heard of uh, Pareto analysis. You know, the 80-20 rule. Well, you have an 80-20 rule, but then on, on the 20%, then you have another 80-20. And on that 20%, you have another 80-20. That's how you get the elite of the elite of the elite. So you have this, you know, a confluence of events. We know that there are people out there who are worth... Now we know there's at least four or five people that are worth 80 to $150 billion, either on paper or through their assets. You know, Bill Gates... He he's actually technically probably richer than um, than uh, Jeff Bezos because he owns a foundation worth fifty billion dollars and he's personally w worth about probably another hundred hundred fifty billion. So you imagine that, and I think in world history, I forget what's his name, Marcos Aurelius at one point is supposedly listed as being worth you know four hundred billion dollars, which was at that time probably half the world's. Uh, gross domestic uh, it, it's kind of hard to to value stuff through time but nevertheless he was probably worth i mean when he was the the emperor of the entire empire yeah there was probably he, the roman empire was probably a, a third to the fifth of the world's uh, uh movement of goods and services and he he had his hands on all of that <laughs> so you so when we measured in terms of that confluence to today if you're worth $150 billion, it doesn't seem like much because let's just say the world, if we value uh, productive goods and dollar amounts, it's maybe 80 to $100 trillion. I don't know what the exact term. I, I know at one time it was like somewhere around $75 trillion, but I think that was about, oh, five or six years ago. So let's just say it's, let's just say it's $80 trillion. So you have maybe about... You put together about a hundred billionaires, and those uh, hundred billionaires, the top one hundred billionaires, are probably worth about somewhere in the neighborhood of you know five to ten trillion dollars of that. You know, fifteen percent. You know, we'll say about fifteen percent of the world's um, wealth is controlled by you know a hundred people, and that's assuming that you don't count the the British Empire or the royals and and whatnot and what their assets. And of course, they want all those. They want all those assets soaked back up into their hands. They want to control every bit of the, every bank that owns your lease, and they want you to provide money to them. That's it. It's a one-way deal. You send money to them, and they make sure you stay alive. That's that's the concept. Well, you stay alive until they tell you that you need to die. That's 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 basically the the deal you're making. The same arrangement you make with the elites. And then you have this guy like Lieber, who's a technocrat. He's just a Harvard minion who's really smart. He's probably smarter than the elites 
in, in, in just about every case, except for guys like Gates, evidently, who scored a 1,600 on his SAT on his second try because he, he couldn't be happy with a 1,590, um, which means he isn't perfect, which means he makes mistakes. But let's just say Lieber is smarter than he is. Maybe Lieber got a 1,600. <clears throat> the thing is, is Lieber, um, and I'm sure Lieber had some, some, uh, some uh, delusions of grandeur or or probably is highly narcissistic and probably at some point wanted to be in charge of things. But the one thing is, is like anything, you can't be good at everything. Um, you can be really, really, really technically smart in a particular field. But that doesn't mean you have a very good understanding of a bunch of other fields. I mean, you can. You can learn. You can dedicate your life to those things. But it takes time to do that. But you, uh, you know, and you may have a grand vision, but... Let's just say Lieber's like uh, a guy like Edward Bernays. Um, not very well-spoken. Can't uh, uh, do presentations worth of shit. So he can't sell anybody on his ideas. Um, but somebody who, like a Gates, comes along and sees Lieber as, sees him for what he is, which is he's a, he's a genius amongst geniuses, um, that he's somebody that he can used to uh, further his objectives that guy's valuable as gold and you know being that gates is heavily invested in china and lieber spent you know was caught basically taking stuff over to china were operating and getting paid by the chinese uh government like fifty thousand dollars a month and all this other kind of shit um and i'm sure he was getting paid in other ways too um money isn't the only thing uh, 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 a lot of times they're dangling positions uh, dangling women and I'm sure he has lusts and desires like everybody else does we'll never know that whole scenario of the truth there and I'm not going to assume that that's the case for him but uh, nevertheless um, um, you have uh, you have people that are just easily easily manipulated to, to do stuff like this and will give up um, they will give up their soul just so that they can get the attention of somebody that's, you know, really, really powerful, like a Gates. And they'll, uh, they'll, um, they'll sell out their entire country, they'll sell out their families, they'll sell out their friends, uh, just to, just so they can continue to get that supply from a, from a Gates or a, a Soros or a, whatever whoever the 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 minion the the elite minion that comes the elite um minion wrangler i call them i'll call them a minion wrangler uh because that's what they do these people with this amount of inordinate amount of power and and, and from money from uh name recognition uh, that are platformed by media i mean gates i mean he literally gets his cock sucked off by Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick on CNBC. I mean, when he goes on there, they just slobber all over him. And Gates enjoys it, you can tell. He enjoys being sucked up to. Um, and I heard he's such an asshole to work with. But So these peop these media folks are so so subservient, such lapdogs that they, they sit there and they, they cater to his every whim. And of course... The people that watch him, 
the people like the, the Liebers of the world and the and, and I'm not picking on Lieber because I'm just using his name because you can find DOJ documents and etc. Cetera, et cetera, and you can draw your own conclusions. But a guy like him who sees Gates in this pinnacle, you know, of technology, he talks about, you know, climate change and talks about people and, you know, how we should make life better for them. I mean, I'm sure Lieber knows he's full of shit. But Hebrew says, hey, I'd rather just get paid by him than anybody else. I mean, philosophically speaking, it's, it's, it's probably kind of, kind of attracted to somebody with that kind of mentality. Uh, and the, the sad thing is, is uh, on top of that, um, <clears throat> hold on a second, I gotta get a drink here. The sad thing on top of that, though, and what was I thinking? Is that we have a we have CIA who hate us evidently because they're not protecting us from people like this. They don't care. We have other agencies that you know the NSA, the NSC, all these little alphabet agencies that the United States used to have that were supposedly who gave a damn about the United States of America, but we know they don't. Ever since nine uh, eleven. They've been, they've been looking. They've been looking internal, not external. I mean, sure, we fought wars and killed thirty or forty thousand American soldiers over in Afghan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Spent a couple trillion dollars. Who knows how many trillions of dollars? I don't know. I've seen different totals from different uh, sources, and you know, uh, our Defense Department hides money and. Um, uh, gives them that gives gives money out like lollipops to Raytheon and General Dynamics and all these fucking con- companies. Sorry for cussing, just it just makes me ill. But anyway, the the point is is that we were supposed to have these agencies that are supposed to protect the United States of America, and they're supposed to you know ferret out these people that are doing bad things to our country, spies basically. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, you know, you know, we used to have, you know, the, was it the Rosenbergs or all these, I mean, it's before my time, but, you know, there used to be, uh, uh, you know, an initiative. I mean, I know people hate McCarthyism. McCarthyism has, <laughs> McCarthyism was crude and, and done poorly, but, I mean, at least people that were communist sympathizers were put on notice that we're going to we're going to stop your bullshit. They didn't really. All it is just drive it underground. But and it came back out in the 1960s uh, during the Vietnam War. Then those people eventually got into school, uh, colleges, and then they've been brainwashing two or three generations of kids to think this way. I mean, I grew up in the 1980s. Initially, I lived in Tennessee and then moved to Northwest Indiana, uh, which is basically a liberal stronghold. And you know, I was Democratic. I was a Democrat voter for. I mean, whether I was able to vote or not able to vote, I was still a Democrat-leaning uh, individual until about about 2010. Uh, about last decade, that's changed a bit. Um, it did definitely changed with Obama after I voted for him. And I found out what kind of asshole he was, which is part of the problem. And this is a key insight. 
do your research on these people, all of them, all the politicians, dig into them. And I know it's time consuming, but it's best to know what you're voting for and who you're voting for, even with the current situation. But nevertheless, you need to know who they are and what, 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 uh, who they affiliated with and why they affiliated with them. If they're not, you know, um, I would almost say it's sad, but um, I would have said a long time ago if you had somebody who was a former military, you would you would vote for him just for that uh, on that on that uh, regard alone. But um, then you get guys like Dan Crenshaw who are nothing but you know paper mache idiots, or Pete Buttigieg, who evidently was in the military. So that tells you that, you know, you can't rely on that as an indicator to serve your country. Now, they, they didn't serve the country. They served themselves, but they, they just put on a uniform for a while. And I served my country, and I didn't do a good job of it, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, that, was a, that was due to my personal issues. I'm just being honest about it. Uh, alcohol was one of those issues. Uh, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse. That was just just one of those things. So anyway, you should investigate people and their backgrounds. Military service is definitely a thing. Uh, their policy positions, who they who they entertain, who they take money from, uh, who they give money to. Uh, find out the reasons why they do the things they do. Do they have they ever owned a business? What did that business do? What did that business fund? What did that business care about people? Uh, how to, how, I mean, I know doing a thorough investigation, you know, like what the CIA used to do is time consuming. <laughs> uh, to do Intel work is, is, is not fun. It's not going to reward you in terms of money. It'll probably piss you off because you'll find out things that'll really make you mad. Um, I mean, but it's better to know than not know. A lot of people just go through life blissfully ignorant of what's going on around them, and I was one of them. I, I was, you know, I was probably a card-carrying member of that, that group um, up until about a decade ago. I think when I lost my mother, that was the, the one of the key insights. Um, I, I, not to bring she, she passed away in 2011, but the last year of her life, uh, I found an interesting, a, a, it dawned on me. And the reason why it dawned on me, I'll, I'll, after this story, I'll cut, cut this off, but uh, <clears throat> I learned about our government. I learned about the systems that are around it. Um, my mother uh, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, she was um, she got her health care through the Veterans Administration. Um, and that, that uh, had a, a significant level of control over you know, what she eventually received in terms of care. Um, her, um, she had had renal cell, uh, cancer, um, back in 2004 and it resulted in her, uh, losing a kidney and they, when they did an operation on her. And so, I mean, uh, for the next six years, um, you know, she was diabetic. It wasn't because of, my mom's biggest problem was, and I think it ran in the family, but her biggest problem is that, yeah, she had a horrible diet. She ate fast food too much, but she worked, I mean, 
she ran a consignment shop for, uh, well, essentially she ran it for 23 years, but she owned it for the last 15, and then that closed down in uh, 2006. Um, and I know people will say, well, it's just a it was a small little consignment shop, but uh, she made enough money uh, with a 50-50 deal for those out there to understand what consignment shops are. And she, you know, 50% went to the customer, 50% was uh, taken in by her. Uh, and they had to pay for all expenses of keeping the operation afloat and, and pay her pay her salary. And she would, uh, 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 her her sister, who, uh, as I turned, it turns out, after I did some investigation, was siphoning off money through the, through the, the accounts, and I, I mean, I understand it to a degree, but it wasn't, and my mother wasn't, I don't think my mother was totally unaware of that, but my mother couldn't bring herself, and this is, this is a failing on her part, she couldn't bring herself to, to tell her sister, uh, um, no, and I guess you could say it was payments and stuff like that, but it didn't help the financial operation, because her sister could have done more with her life. Her sister was supposed to be the smart one. But anyway, so my mother um, lost her, you know, lost the, the business closed down. This was after 15 years of her operating it. I uh, just financially couldn't do it anymore. You know, she paid off all her, paid off, the, I think, all of her customers at, at the end. I don't know. I don't think, it, I don't think what she owed them was a substantial amount. It wasn't like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything like that. I think, you know, maybe there were some, I'm sure there were some old consignment, you know, there were some customers that had, she had sold something of theirs one or two years prior and never closed the account or whatever, but if they were thinking they were going to come after it, I guess they never did, but uh, I, I think at the end, I think maybe there probably was some out there, but I don't know what it was amount. I can't tell you what the amount was, but uh, anyway, my mother was, it really hurt her. I mean, that. That might have been the one thing uh, my mom couldn't deal with very well was failure. And I think she felt that she had failed, uh, probably failed herself. And I had tried to help her at one point or another. But I did, from that point on, I delivered uh, papers overnight. And basically, uh, I did it in her name because of you know, situations that surrounded my life. And I would, you know, deliver and get, she would get the money and then that would pay the bills. Well, and she was working with her sister to deliver papers uh, also. And she was doing a part-time job at a restaurant overnight doing um, um, basically um, janitorial service cleanup. But her sister had constantly got them in financial trouble. She always spent more than she took in. And my mother would just take the money that I was giving her to handle the bills. And then she would fuel her sister. And so that con that constant uh, uh, stream of information or money um, led to you know the when the financial crisis kicked on. Prior to the financial crisis, this is one thing that people probably don't remember, but I do uh, because I was delivering uh, paper routes at the time. The gas prices shot up through the roof. I think at one point I was paying you know at least at a high three three dollars. I think maybe four bucks there for a little bit. I know in California, I think it was up to almost $5 a gallon at one point. You know, just huge disparity. So you had high gas prices. You had impending uh, financial collapse on Wall Street with uh, the housing market. And as it turned out, we fell into that, fell victim to that because of her sister. 
she gave her sister the ability to uh, handle the mortgage payment or the oh, it was a home equity loan it wasn't a mortgage but it was a home equity loan they had gotten a home equity loan drawn against the asset uh, their house and a few other assets somehow the bank decided to give them a home equity loan based upon I honestly just garbage but that's just my opinion but they were drawing on that line of credit and all that kind of stuff and my our, our my aunt and her sister decided to not pay the the home equity loan for three months straight. So of course they put the house into foreclosure, and there was no way to to reconcile that or fix that problem. At least I couldn't do anything about it because my name wasn't on the home equity loan. I didn't make the deal, and her sister was what she was a pain in the ass about everything and so anyway um my mom's stress kept on going through the roof um she eventually filed bankruptcy in 2009 at my i pleaded with her pleaded with her to finally file bankruptcy and and for her to swallow her pride and do that was not easy um she didn't um she really just didn't want to do it that was the real reality of it because it, it was like one more chink to her armor. I mean, my mother wasn't that prideful, but I think she took pride in the fact that she wanted to pay her bills and she wanted to, she wanted to do the best she can. She wanted to do what every other person in the middle of America does. You want to make it on your own and you want to you want to live your life and you want to have just a little bit of happiness to go along with it. I don't think that's, I don't think that's too much to ask. But be damned if our uh, people at the very top of the food chain give a shit about that. So anyway, by 2010, her health started to fail. Um, she misfiled her taxes. She got into a car accident, uh, a minor one, minor fender bender. She fell down. My mom started to, I mean, you, when when people talk about Joe Biden, my mom was, you know, this was, she was only 59 years old or 58 years old at that time. She started to show those signs. And as it turned out, um, uh, uh, she had a reoccurrence of cancer. It, it showed up in her, uh, in, in her system. She had some weight issues, weight changes. She lost weight, uh, even though she was diabetic. And sure enough, uh, she had surgery in September 2010. And uh, they removed uh, a mass, of um, the cancerous mass. Well, they say they removed it. What they did is they spread it. They removed it. They were going to put her on a... Um, Sunatib, which is a uh, basically it, it's supposed to uh, uh, do what it can to alleviate the cancer. Well, um, she signed off on that on that treatment, but the surgeon stepped in. The VA surgeon was actually uh, stepped in and said, "No, no, no. We're going to have to wait until this uh, wound heals." And this was in October that she had uh, proved that. Well, by November. Um, she started to have some, well, she started to have some mental issues, and I, uh, even more more so than normal, uh, sequencing issues. She, you know, and, and just dis, disorderly, I didn't catch it all because I wasn't always around, but when I did, when I say always around, I, I didn't see everything she ever did. Uh, but when I did, uh, you know, stumble into that and then have conversations with her, I could see that there was something wrong. And meanwhile, I'm I'm working overnight, you know, delivering the routes and trying to handle that. And then her sister started getting crazier and crazier. 
and I say crazier and crazier, she just started, I mean, because my mom was still driving around at night, uh, well, after about three or four weeks of her not being able to do that, I mean, she went back to helping her sister out in the middle of October, so she was about a month without uh, doing anything, uh, when I say do, not doing anything, she didn't need to be doing anything at all, but what I'm saying is that she was recuperating, but her sister wanted her back on the route with her, and I, you know, my mom was more than more than wanting to do something because you know obviously you want to feel like you're useful. She didn't the two or three weeks that she was uh, um, laid up at the home or at the house. Uh, you know, you know how people who are energetic or people that are always have to have something to do, they can't sit still. They don't want to sit still. So. In the process of that, I guess, you know, between that, that stressed my aunt out, and she was already stressing me out, and she was talking, you know, in doom and gloom to the point to where I was like, I, I couldn't even deal with her, and then my mom was having her issues, and then she was making visits to the, to the nurse practitioner that the VA had assigned her to, and she had been going there probably about once every seven to ten days, I guess, you know, between medicine refills and, and checkups and follow-ups and all that kind of stuff. Well, about the first week in November, second week in November, I knew uh, there was something seriously wrong with her. And um, she, one time she, she came, at, you know, she, you know, grabbed onto me and she said, you have to get me away from her. And I'm like, who? You know, at first I didn't know what that was what she was talking about well she was talking about her sister and she intimated that you know she said you know she she had really fearful eyes and my mom normally wasn't like that but my mom was starting to show all kinds of things that I didn't understand or know and you know you knew the thing is is you know it's little things but then it's big things you know and, and so I said like, okay 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 and then uh She's like, no, you don't, you, you know, she, she won't listen. Uh, she, and then I, I found out, and she said, she, she's been hitting me. I'm like, oh boy. And then I had to deal with that. And, um, long story short, I had to take her to the nurse practitioner. And I said, can you examine her? Because something's not right. And then they, after doing a few examinations, they sent her up to, uh, UIC in Chicago. And as it turned out, she had a mass on her, her brain, brain stem. And so they had to do emergency uh, brain surgery. Uh, literally emergency brain surgery. They said, we need to do this right now. Uh, they, it was like within 24 hours. And this was right around Thanksgiving. And I was still delivering papers overnight like I'd been doing all the time. So I had to first give them that permission. Yeah, I had to be the one, in, you know, I didn't have power of attorney. I had to make these decisions. Um, and her sister was just flipping out. I couldn't deal with her at all. Um, though I tried, I mean, I really did. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to make the decision. And then after the surgery, I mean, what was worse is <laughs> I had my car break down on the way home after I drove up to, uh, the Chicago and, uh, the, the engine overheated on the way home with the vehicle I had. Luckily, I had a friend who helped me uh, deliver the papers that night. And I get back home, and her her, uh, her sister was just 
at that point, I couldn't, I don't know what the hell to say about what she was talking about, but she was talking about death, and she said, I'm never going to move out of this house, and I don't know what you're going to do, and, you know, I couldn't have a rational conversation with her, and I already have my mother in crisis, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm unable to make a decision what to do with these uh, situations. And then, so I had to get power of attorney over my mom's affairs. And I knew one of the things I was going to have to do was to, she had a vehicle that her sister was using to do deliver a route herself. And because of the, the fact that the, the cost to fix my car was going to be more than I had, I didn't have but like 500 bucks in a bank account, I was going to have to I was going to have to do that, and I did, it wasn't given really any choice. And the fact that she just kept on, you know, I, I, I just got sick of her. And, um, you know, I took power of the attorney and took the monies that I was making off the route, and I decided that this is the time to leave, and I left. I took off. And I'm telling you all this because <clears throat> um, when you have to make such choices, it, it's not because... You want to be mean, but you have to do it for your own sanity. And I knew my mom needed somebody who could could focus on her. So, you know, I moved out. When I moved out, I, I moved to a motel. I lived in uh, Maryville, Indiana for the next seven, seven or eight months. At one point, I did move to Cedar Lake with my mom. For a week, it was a, a better price, better deal. The problem was is... Uh, my mother, um, <laughs> to be frank about it, she nearly burnt the place down. Um, it came back. I, I, she had went to sleep. This was this was a couple three weeks after her operation. At first, she was. Uh, they wanted her to go to the uh, veterans home in West Lafayette, which you know I thought was a good idea, and they set that up. Well, I take her to the veterans home in West Lafayette here, and. Um, she will not she would not sleep she would not sit still she was able to walk and most of the people in the facility couldn't handle her and then they said that she uh, admit, uh, made uh, suicidal ideations my mother at that point couldn't couldn't have told you what was going on in her life i mean she just had a a mass moved off her brain stem she was ostensibly supposed to be recuperating but they had her hopped up on steroids i mean they they probably had her on too much medications amongst other things they had her on trazodone they had her on all kinds of stuff and between all that kind of stuff i don't think she can make a decision about what she was really thinking about anything i know to be frank about it, the last six months of her life she didn't even she didn't even call me by name she would uh off, oftentimes she would like <laughs> she would call me linda she would call me uh her sister's name which gives you every indication of what she was able to do and she would talk in a baby voice at times my mom mom was you know she was dying and dementia and cancer and everything was balling up together and you know I took her to the hospital when I moved back into with her in Maryville we found a a week-to-week -week stay that was relatively cheap and I took the money that uh, I made off the uh, paper route and um, would uh, I'd actually bring her along with me uh, probably more than half the time I had to because it was a way for me to keep my eye on her because, uh, you know, she'd, she'd sit in the passenger seat and 
she could feel like she was uh, contributing, and, and I'd let her do that for the next six months. I didn't take her every night. Sometimes when um, I took her to UIC, and at one point she did get radiation treatment. Uh, it was a stereoscopic. I, I can't remember what kind of, where they aim the radiation to that particular spot to try to, because try, the cancer was all over, and they were trying to um, stop it. But there was a mass growing again in her in her brain, and they aimed it and and whatnot. So after she got radiation treatment, you know, obviously you got to deal with uh, the fallout of radiation. So she was more calm there for a little bit. She'd be sick at night, but you know, obviously it saps you of energy. So for a little while, uh, yeah, she would she would rest at night, and they had sleeping pills and stuff like that. But the, you know, once you're on that kind of stuff, it just takes more and more to maintain the same level. Um, and she was on two types of insulin and all that kind of stuff. And I give her pills and stuff like that. And I try to you know keep her active and moving, and keep you know obviously food and all that kind of stuff. We go to Target together, and you know she was like a child. My mom uh, basically regressed to about a 9 or 10 year old in terms of her mental functionality or at least the way she approached the world, um, which is sad, but it was also eye-opening because in the meantime, and this gets, I, I went a long way around explaining, I had to deal with, uh, you know, power of attorney, the VA, uh, Chase Manhattan, uh, Holmes, uh, the the government about her social security which helped for like three months As a matter of fact the money that i got from the social security administration wound up being the amount of money that, that i used to uh, uh do her funeral services with it was about i think it's like about forty five hundred dollars um which she got her first check in february and she was gone by june and they took 15 percent out of that check because uh because of her tax issues that she had misfiled her taxes so they uh they took 15 percent. that's the maximum at least at the time that the government could take from her social security uh to pay off the the debt owed to them so what i'm saying is is that it was an eye-opening experience and um after having to deal with all that i you know i learned to um i started seeing things maybe a little bit a little bit clearer it, it took a while uh, but that was my first initiation into changing up my my belief systems and how I felt about things and doing research and having to deal with things that I didn't know about at the time I had never gone through um, because when you when you're when you're one of your uh, relatives your mom or your dad or even your brother or your sister or anybody you're connected to um, has a health issue, uh, cancer, dementia, which my mom did. At the very end, she went to the hospice for the last three weeks of her life um, because I, at that point, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't manage her 24-7. At times, I could, you know, take a break and, you know, go, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's difficult to, to get someone ready to go and move, I mean, I found that out, um, you know, I, I tried to manage her as much as I could, but I, I was doing it by myself, and, you know, just her, uh, you know, just 
personal needs and all that kind of stuff. It, 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 it's too much for any one person. That's why so many people um, send their parents directly to the home instead of trying to do it. I mean, maybe, or, well, some people just do it because they don't care, but um, I tried my best for as long as I could. Um, but uh, right after Memorial Day of 2011, uh, I, I, um, she had gone to the hospital for, was a third time since her uh, her surgery. Um, there was times where she went to the hospital for uh, after that, not only just UIC and Northwestern, uh, went to Loyola. I took her around for different uh, aspects of her, her situation to try to improve it, but um, it's it's almost impossible once once cancer is in your brain um, and once it's metastatic and it's traveling all over the place um, there's no there's really no hope uh, at that point it's just how long do they um, can they live with it and I'm glad that my mom uh, uh, didn't hang on too long I had to sign the uh, DNR in order and uh, I did I my mom had I guess one of the last cognitive things that she had said prior to her first surgery was that she said she didn't want to be resuscitated. So at least I got that. We didn't discuss a lot of things. We didn't discuss end of life procedures, what she wanted. She, 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 she did make it clear that she didn't want to go to the home and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want her to be in the home. And she, she fought tooth and nail after the first one, <laughs> but what she didn't realize is I didn't really want to put her in the, the veterans home at the, in West Lafayette because I was <laughs> trying to ignore it. I was trying to get things set up so that I could actually bring her back, but uh, she didn't give me a week and she she was back with me and I had to come up with something on the fly. But I was trying to I was trying to get things in order, but um, I was having a hard enough time just keeping myself sane and I was fighting her sister and. Um, I know I've gone a long way from where I started with this, but uh, and I'm not looking for, uh, if anyone listens, I'm not looking for any uh, sympathy on this. I'm just just stating a fact because, you know, we lose a lot of things in our life and our humanity is tied to our, our uh, ability to uh, put things in perspective, which is something I think is lost with our, our current elites. They don't give a shit about anything but themselves. Uh, they certainly don't care about humanity. They just act like they do. I always wonder, I wonder how they would feel if, if they lost something so dear to them. I mean, in my case, it was my mother. She was the last living relative that I, I can say I loved unconditionally and never never wavered on that. We had our issues over life, but we, we, worked, them, we worked through them. Her parents both were like that, too. Those are the three most important people in my life to me. And always have been and always will be. Um, I'm not saying I can't care about other people. It's just those three people were loyal, um, committed, and your family should be. Uh, I can't say that for the rest of my family. Um, but those three, yes, that they were the, they're the reason why I did the things I could do. Good and ill. I guess you could say ill too because I made mistakes. I didn't do it because of them. I did, I did things that I regret um, because of my own stupidity, which is what you learn from in life. Um, you have to do things. You can't just sit around and wait for the government to do it for you. 
you can't expect the government to understand what you're what you're uh, even close to doing. The people that work in government are so far removed from reality that you know, from their standpoint, they're just care. They all they care about is maintaining their their plush environment, their their little bubble of happiness, and and then expect us to feel sorry for them if they have any troubles or concern. That's why they're putting a uh, um, a barrier around D.C. No, I guess I've gone far beyond where I. So if you watch on video, uh, so there they've got the razor wire up and a fencing around Washington D.C. So they're basically they're so afraid of uh, they they they're acting like they're afraid, but really what they're just this is a this is a, a psychological weapon to say um, we're in control and you need to stay the hell away from us. Um, Nancy Pelosi, that garbage person who runs our uh, runs our Congress uh, is part and parcel to this because, uh, of course, you know, her office got broken into. And I know how people are very sensitive about certain things and they think there's a good reason for this. But we've never had this before in the United States. And they rang a they they literally rang a dinner bell and invited these people into the uh, Capitol building. I think there's been like 35 arrests on uh, officers who who uh, basically let these protesters walk on through and of course amongst the protesters there was a certain percentage a very small percentage that were there to cause havoc and they did some of that was probably pre, uh, was uh, was certainly pre-planned um to what extent we'll, we'll we'll never know the truth because the commission they're, they're setting up is to to put all foist all the blame on trump it's not it's about it's not about investigation it's about uh indicting indicting one particular person for the the actions of a bunch of idiots who probably have been paid for um but the point of this was to to install a uh domestic control mechanism and we're going to have to deal with that and um i think if if you haven't uh, lived long enough you to experience stuff like this i which i have um, I know how terrorizing it can be. My mother escaped this. That's why I talk about this so much. Is my mother was terrorized by her her uh, her husband, my my dipshit dad, her only husband, and my dipshit dad. I call him uh, I call him the narcopath in chief because that's what he was. Uh, he didn't care about people, and he's much like a congressman. Very good, smooth talking could manipulate and he did but if you pissed him off he, there was consequences for that and that's what these people are just like there's no difference really now, I've seen this before so when I see it now I, 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 I it saddens me because this is what our country's become because of these people they've done this to themselves they've done this to all of us they've, uh, they've they're trying to kill the American dream and they're doing it and they think, that, and they, and they have the gall and the audacity to try to pawn it off as they're trying to be trying to secure our country or fortify it through elections, as Time Magazine wrote. The Time Magazine writer was, uh, oh, by the way, she's uh, Nancy Pelosi's biographer, that Motley Ball chick. So, I guess I've talked enough, but I wanted to, I wanted to put this together because um, I still believe in this country. Even if there's forces that are aligned against us and aligned and, and, and subverting from inside that that 
long ago gave up on this country. So I'm going to end it there, and I thank you for listening.